Fossil Pokemon is pretty much what got me interested in the study of paleontology. When I learned that Ammonite was based off of real-world Ammonites, I had to learn all about Ammonites, which then snowballed into me having to learn about everything that lived alongside Ammonites, and then things that lived before Ammonites, and things that came after Ammonites. About 600 million years, it's nothing. Yeah. Hey there! Ever feel like life's a bit of a roller coaster, and you're just riding the loops? Me too. I'm Ron, your host here on Curious Cast, and I've invited some seriously cool, connected, and sometimes a bit controversial folks to share their stories, from their claims to fame to their mental health journeys, and loads of fun stuff in between. We'll be diving into the stories that make us human. Whether we're chatting about the serious stuff or just having a laugh, you'll soon realize we are all part of this grand, sometimes messy, but always fascinating human experience. Thanks for joining in, and welcome to Curious Cast. Join me on a journey into a world where science meets cheeky charm. Today, we're diving into the fascinating realm of paleontology with none other than the Jurassic Hunk himself, Fossil Daddy. With chiseled arms and a love for chiseling ancient rocks, he is an LGBTQ content creator and is breaking the mold in a field dominated by narrow-minded tradition. Holding not one, but two master's degrees in environmental science, this Boston-accented paleontologist is on a mission to make science sexy. Fossil Daddy turns fossil hunting into an art form. From stuffing pokeballs with ancient treasures inspired by his childhood Pokemon dreams, to uncovering Jurassic footprints, his content is both educational and entertaining. But the journey isn't without its challenges. Facing scrutiny from creationism advocates, he fearlessly uses scientific evidence to clap back. In his own words, science is fundamentally true, whether you believe it or not. Join us as we uncover the stories behind the fossils, the passion driving this charismatic scientist, and how he is redefining what it means to be a paleontologist in the digital age. Get ready for a ride full of knowledge, laughter, and maybe a few surprises. Thanks for being our tour guide today into prehistory, Fossil Daddy. How are you doing? Hi, how are you? I'm great. <laughs> so I took a look at the weather here in South Africa. We've got some serious summertime weather. <laughs> and you guys are heading into your first snow for the season. Yeah, uh, we're expecting about six inches where I live. And I think further west, it's going to be like 10 inches to a foot. But so you know, I think it's, it's safe good... to say no, no fossil digging anytime <laughs> soon. No, especially considering a lot of the fossils that I find are in western Massachusetts. I'm not going to be able to go out that way for a while. And it looks like uh, Pennsylvania and upstate New York also got significant snow. So I won't be able to go there until the winter thaw, too, because, you know, I go there a lot as well. But we know um, what that is. It's an excuse for lots of our chocolate and time in front of the telly. <laughs> I actually hate chocolate. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That's terrible. As long as you like coffee, then we can still be friends. Yes, I love coffee. I can't <laughs> live without it. You know, I actually, I can't go to bed at night unless I have um, a cup of coffee. Be the death of me. Let's, I'll take your word for it. It's all that fossil dust, I'm sure. Yeah. Listen, I thought with curious cost since i've gone through some mental health struggle and surmounted it i've wanted to chat to people in a fun way so that everyone listening realizes that you know what going through a mental health struggle isn't that strange a thing and it's relatable to everybody so we're going to talk about your life your passions and here and there we're going to talk about stuff that pertains to mental health so that people can see how obvious it is to talk about right so with your personal life let's start right at the beginning and the obvious question which most people have is 
Why the name Fossil Daddy? Where does the pseudonym come from? You know, it's funny. I created an Instagram account pretty much as soon as Instagram was a thing, I think like 2012 or 2013. And I went under a different handle that had my real name in it, followed by the word rocks, you know, because like I rock, whatever. (laughs) Um, And I didn't really post photos of myself back then. I posted photos primarily of the fossils that I was finding because I was living in Scotland at the time. Uh, But I quickly garnered an audience of maybe like a thousand to three thousand people relatively shortly of, you know, like Americans who really loved rocks and crystals and fossils. Uh, But, you know, it was an older crowd uh, because the rock hounding community consists primarily of like old white people. Uh, That's something I'm personally trying to change. Right. And it was I think it was like 2019 or something that I... I got a really homophobic comment in one of my photos and I didn't even say or do anything remotely gay and I don't even think it was directed at me I think it was just a general homophobic comment something about pertaining to like what a masculine activity it is and like no queer would be caught dead in the community and I was just like do you know who you're talking to (laughs) (laughs) so that was like the day that I decided that I kind of needed to rebrand a little bit so I changed my handle to Fossil Daddy, uh, <laughs> mainly because I was trying to find two words that were relevant. So like, A, I'm getting on in age. I just, I, I was like early 30s back then. And, you know, Daddy. Well, you're the furthest thing from a fossil, but okay. No, well. no, 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 no. But like, but, but you know, like it's the dom nature of me. I'm, <laughs> I have a pretty dominant <laughs> oh, nature. Oh, oh, so right. like, you know, and Daddy was trending at that time. So I was like, okay, so like, I know I wanted daddy to be in the name, but was I going to be paleo daddy? No, (laughs) no, because like people would confuse me for like the paleo diet. diet. Yeah. So uh, then I was like, okay, so prehistoric daddy? No. Mm. And then fossil daddy. Um, And I remember as soon as I said it out loud, uh, I had a few friends in the room and they were like dying. They just started (laughs) laughing hysterically. I was like, okay. Okay, we got, got we, approval. We got it. This is this is it. And almost That's immediately, awesome. uh, like after I posted my first photo, I lost like a thousand followers. The, the one thousand you had, you lost immediately. Great. Yeah. Well, I had. I think. I think uh, by that point, I racked up like thirty five hundred. Um, but I lost a thousand almost overnight because I posted my first educational thirst trap and dared to use the hashtag gay. <laughs> Um, (laughs) And, you know, like I got some backlash, but mind you, the Rock Hounder community is extremely old, white and conservative. Absolutely. So, like, I almost expected it. But, you know, I think I was a little rattled that I lost that many followers because I was like, I'm never going to bounce back from that. Uh, But almost as soon as I lost them, I gained like 2000 more. So I was like, okay, I'm on to something here. There you go. um, I started getting comments like, okay, uh, like this is more than a thirst trap. This is like actually interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And that's actually a question I had is, is I wanted to ask you these educational thirst traps, the way you call them. Yeah. So what led you to make that decision? Was it really just a fluke? No, I, I knew that when people came to my Instagram, I wanted them to walk away having learned something. Like I didn't want to be just another thirst trap because like, 
God knows Instagram has millions of those. <laughs> but I knew that if I was going to compete in that market, I had to do something different. So educational thirst trap seemed like a good direction to go. And, you know, people actually do get a lot out of it. Um, like, you have no idea. I get so many messages in my DMs of people who are now going into environmental sciences or they're oh, looking wow. into paleontology programs. And now I get paid to talk at various rock and mineral groups or museums. And every time I go, they pretty much sell out of memberships for their local rock and mineral groups because people just want to get into the dirt, you know? That's so fantastic. So, yeah. So like it was really, honestly, it was a blessing in disguise. And mind you, at that point, I hated my job. I think the pandemic was the best thing that ever happened because I was bigger back then. Even though I was doing these paleontological thirst traps, I was bigger. So like, obviously, I wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea, but I still managed to grow a following. <laughs> That's all that matters. And then in 2020, when everything was shut down, I realized I didn't have to work as hard anymore because I wasn't getting up at 5 a.m. and coming home at 10 p.m. and eating garbage throughout the day. Uh, so I was able to kind of focus on my fitness again and my mental health. And I shed all of that weight. And then my thirst traps became somewhat thirstier and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then made a TikTok account when I was finally feeling confident enough to be on video. Mm -hmm. And I think within the first two videos, I blew up, which that audience in the early days of TikTok, you know, which was like the wild, wild west back then. <laughs> um, it was a lot easier to grow an audience, like an actual audience that cares about you. Um, whereas on TikTok, if you were to try to grow it now, there are just so many people posting videos on TikTok. Absolutely. Like, nobody is going to remember you now. Uh, so I kind of got in while the getting was good. And people followed me over to Instagram. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a Twitter, too. I made a Twitter. And then everybody followed me over to Twitter. And I was able to That's really great. grow a community for myself. I, I can't say that that would be the same on TikTok now because I don't really use TikTok anymore just because there's so much crap on it. Yeah. Um, and short form videos just frankly don't interest me anymore so now i've made two youtube channels and uh just working on those now too so but i had to i had to work through my mental health through that before i could even feel the confidence to even begin all that absolutely we're going to get to that i've, I've got a, a few questions regarding that but just before we go off the topic i wanted to ask it's sort of where i want to start with with every guest in this podcast because we were all kids at one point right what did you dream of becoming as a kid and, and how does this compare a paleontologist no way yeah well yeah, i actually had a few dreams i wanted to be an animator uh, so I did become an animator. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So like in 2025, I got my first internship in animation. And that's when I realized that even for a four-year degree, I would be making minimum wage for the rest of my life, especially back then where animation just didn't pay good money. Sure. Uh, unlike today, because we're kind of seeing an animation boom as of like 2021. But back in the early 2000s, it was not a sustainable career unless you really got into the big studios. So I decided to step away from animation and illustration and I went into environmental sciences, which eventually led me into paleontology where I became a paleontologist, which was what I also wanted to do before I wanted to become an animator. I have too many interests and I kind of also take it to an extreme where like if I want it, I go do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great example. And, and that's why I, I ask this question. 
question of every guest so that people can see life is not linear. You don't just no, choose one not. thing and do that for the rest of your life. No, exactly. Even though I do work in the field of paleontology, I also do other things too. I teach, you know, like that's my my main passion in life is to teach other people. So like, and no, I'm not posting thirst traps in my classroom. It's <laughs> a lot more, a lot more professional. A lot of my students are very aware of my online uh, notoriety. Uh, and they get a kick out of it, but... I'm sure. And, and I think they have more respect for you as a result. They see that you're a real person. Well, yeah, because, you know, like, they're they're older. They're late teens. So, like, they, you know, they, they know what the internet's all about. Absolutely. Um, this is, like, a group of people that grew up with the internet all around them, unlike you and I. But, yeah, I've worked in a lot of different fields. I've worked in marine biology. I've worked as an environmental technician, a freaking animator. <laughs> I even used to build chimneys before all of that. What? So, yeah. Uh, how do you, you think I think... From- Building really hard structures to breaking into hard structures to get fossils. So, so breaking structures, because when I had to build a chimney, I usually had to tear the old one down. Uh, but yeah, that was masonry. That's what I did as a teenager just to kind of like pay my way through school until I moved to Scotland. And I didn't have to work so hard because in America, we kind of promote the idea of working until you can't anymore, or working till yes. you drop. And that's not healthy. You know, like you only have one life. Why live your life when you're retired and too tired to live? You know, you gotta live your life right now, and you gotta find that balance. And yeah, I like, honest- um, it's Tim Ferriss that that spoke about that approach of of taking miniature retirement in your life and, yeah, and enjoying I, life as much as you can. I have in 2020, even though the world was a lockdown, I still had enough money to kind of live off of that for a few years. So I honestly didn't start working again until like 2023. And then I was making pretty decent money just off of social media, people going to my website, buying fossils or buying jewelry that I've made or sponsoring a fossil hunt, which you can do right now if you go to fossildaddy.com and scroll down a little bit. You can sponsor a fossil hunt and I'll send you a fossil that I find myself. And I see that you recently started doing opal jewelry again. I didn't even know that opals are another passion of yours. Yeah. So actually, I think just gem cutting and gem work is another passion because I see it a lot like sculpture. Uh, The realm of animation that I worked in was stop motion animation or clay animation. I worked specifically with clay. So I love shaping things. And I think lapidary work, which is gem cutting, is very similar to that. Like you can make some really beautiful shapes and uh, sizes and just working with stone is just so much fun to me. Just going from a rough little stone that looks like a little piece of shit into like this beautiful (laughs) gem, that'll never not be fun to me. And opals specifically are really hard but fun to work with because if you polish them too much, you could lose all that flashy color. No way. Like, that flashy color is on a very thin, specific layer of the rock. If you hit that layer, you could just wipe it all away. Oh, um, no. See, the inherent risk there would just make it not fun for me. I'll say yeah. them your way. <laughs> I find <laughs> it a lot of fun. So when I started doing lapidary work, I then got interested in doing silver work. So I started casting silver. Like, I have a bunch of little molds uh, that I pour silver in, like, you know, what I set the opal earrings into. Uh, Just make a little silver cast and then uh, put it all together. And I find that really therapeutic for me. Talk about (laughs) being multi-talented. That's ridiculous, the kind of stuff you get up to. Thank you. All I need to learn now is that you're also a great cook. 
Uh, yes. Well, uh, I, I can cook, but I, I don't know how to bake. <laughs> so, like, if I try to bake cookies or a cake, you better believe that cake is going to spring to life and destroy the city. So, I just... <laughs> Uh, it's the balance of flour to liquids, my friend. We'll oh, teach I you know. it. I know uh, it's. I know it's some chemistry. Point, I have to teach you something. You can't just teach us stuff. I really want to dig into um, fossils in our next section. So let's yes. take a little break. Absolutely. All right. So, let's make fossils easy to understand. Yeah. Explain the different types of fossils and which are the ones that you specialize in. Okay, so most people know of body fossils, which, you know, consist of like the bones or the actual specimen, which are preserved after an animal or a specimen is buried after a long period of time. Uh -huh. And uh, those sediments kind of build up and creates a hollow cat. Or let me start over. Okay, so let's say, Ron, you die and you are buried underground pretty quickly. Your body rots away, only your bones are left behind. And over the course of millions of years, layers and layers and layers of sedimentary deposits are laid on top of you, which later becomes sedimentary rock. Uh -huh. During that process, your bones are going to absorb the surrounding minerals, therefore becoming a mineral replacement of the organic bone matter. So uh -huh. like you're literally turning into stone, uh, like Medusa style. Yeah, I was just um, going to say, probably part of the fantastic something who knows marvel right. <laughs> here i come so that is how most fossils preserve but what i specialize in is the field of paleontology called ichnology uh, which is the study of trace fossils like impressions footprints trackways body impressions uh Coprolite, which is known as fossil feces, left behind by it's organisms. Poo rocks. Yeah, poo rocks. I actually have my students <laughs> lick those. So you can identify fossil bone by licking the fossil. And if it sticks to your tongue, it's a fossil bone. But I'll usually trick my students and have them like lick a rock to try and identify what they think it is. <laughs> and then I'm just like, you just licked shit. Like, <laughs> oh, they always get such a rise uh, out of that. Brilliant. But yeah, I specialize in fossil footprints specifically. So I study dinosaur footprints from the Mesozoic era, which consist of the Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous periods. And those uh, preserve in different kinds of sedimentary rocks. Like, oh, people don't really realize this. I get questions a lot, like when I post a photo of a dinosaur for a footprint that I find, and they're like, what uh -huh. dinosaur made that? It's like, it's impossible to tell because like... Sure. The fossilized bones will not fossilize where footprints preserve. <laughs> like, it's a completely different, you know, environmental setting. It's yes. a completely different process of fossilization. Uh, for instance, like footprints or trace fossils in general have to dry relatively quickly in order to preserve and then get buried relatively quickly in order to preserve. And there has to be trace amounts of clay in the sediment for trackway specifically to preserve. So, like, that's why you'll never find fossil footprints in sand because there's no clay in it. it you know, sand just blows sure. all over the place. So, you know, that's what I study. I study the locomotion of dinosaurs, uh, how they walked, how they ran. So you can tell a lot by a dinosaur footprint, like how fast they were walking, depending on how close the footprints were together or how, how far apart they were. You can see that sometimes they traveled in packs when there's a plethora of footprints together going in various directions. That's amazing. Um, 
Yeah, my backyard is just littered with fossil trackways. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried donating to museums and they're like, oh no, we have these already. So like, I just have like a miniature museum in my backyard. This is a good point at which to, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's a good point yeah. at which to, to mention that I'm sure you get the question often. People say, how can you just go out and take these fossils? Why are not, yeah. where they're not in museums? But people don't realize that there are not enough museums in the world to house all the fossils that are out there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so... People will often give me shit about it. It's like, okay, well, if you want to buy them from me, you can donate them to a museum and, <laughs> <laughs> and you can see what I'm talking about. Because even when I do try to donate fossils, sometimes those fossils may never see the light of day again. Yes. Uh, unless they're really scientifically significant or new mm -hmm. to science. Like museums are very seldom interested. Because the study of paleontology, while relatively new compared to other sciences. You know, like the fossils of the Connecticut River Valley, for instance, have been extensively studied and their fossils have been distributed to museums all around the world, even some mm -hmm. of the more obscure museums. And while some of my collection have made it into museums, like that's very rare, you know, like it's very rare for a museum not to have specimens from the Connecticut River Valley. Wow. And one reason for me why I'm able to get them is because A, I live really close to the Connecticut River Valley. Um, <laughs> Bonus. And uh, B, uh, even though it's illegal to take fossils from the valley, there is a loophole in the state of Massachusetts anyway. And if you have access to a private property in the Connecticut River Valley where fossils are found, as long as you're on that property, you can take whatever fossils you find. And I've made enough friends in the industry that I have multiple friends who live in the Connecticut River Valley. And for a small fee, they'll let me go out into their property and just That's take amazing. whatever I collect. Yeah, like under the condition that I don't make a mess. Yeah, sure. But, of course. But, uh, it has to be done respectfully. Right. And, you know, like I'm a professional. So if a mess is made, I know how to deal with it in an envi environmentally friendly way. For instance, like it, let's say I pull one rock uh, out of a layer and then boom, I cause like a mini avalanche. I have a shovel and then I just distribute all of the debris throughout the forest floor, which makes the salamanders really happy. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, so you're just going to be respectful about how you do it, and you're going to make sure that where you go, uh, you're allowed to be there. Uh, upstate New York has pretty loose fossil hunting laws, um, so upstate New York is actually a really good place to start fossil hunting if you ever want to go fossil hunting. Uh, you can find any, anything from brachiopods to trilobites, which is what I usually chase out there, um, orthocones, which were prehistoric squid-like animals, all kinds of cool stuff. Eurypterids, uh, those are my favorite. They're very, very oh, it's rare. amazing. I just watched, um, even though it's been out for years, I watched David Attenborough's First Life, and it was fascinating. Yes. I don't know if you saw David Attenborough's uh, The Sea Dragon, which takes place. Yes. On, yeah, okay, so I was there for the recording of that. <laughs> no, that's was, so cool. I wasn't in it, but I was there for it. And uh, God. Brilliant. Yeah, when I lived in the UK, I used to spend my summers on the Jurassic Coast, and he just happened to be shooting a documentary down there. I actually got to talk to him a little bit about what I was studying, and it was, oh, he's such a nice, wonderful person. Oh, wow, I'm so happy you got to do that. Yeah, so like that specific uh, sea dragon, or ichthyosaur, you can actually find in Charmouth. There's like a little seaside museum above a fossil store. And you could just go up there and view it. it, it it's, oh, I don't that's know, like, amazing. If I if I could retire anywhere, I think the Jurassic Coast would be where I'd go. I love Scotland, but like I want to be where the fossils are. 
Who's that fast historical figure? Uh, is it Mary Anning that you Mary say? Mary Anning, yeah. Yes, uh, I looked up to her a lot, and especially as a kid. Um, and I used to spend my summers in her hometown of Lyme Regis, which... How cool uh, is that? Yeah, just kind of fossil hunting her footsteps almost. So speaking of places that you can't just dive into and go fossil hunting, you mentioned in a previous uh, interview somewhere I listened and, and you, you spoke about Lightning Ridge in Australia. Yes, Just tell yes. us a little bit about why that's cool. Uh, so Lightning Ridge is really cool because that's where all of the Australian opals are found. But more importantly than that, uh, you can find opalized fossils there. Um, and the no, reason for that wait. is because that, that particular kind of opal preserves in sedimentary rock where fossils are found so, so you can find like little opalized uh, ammonites gastropods on the very rare occasion you can find very large opalized dinosaur bones what yeah but you know like as much fun as i had there it was super interesting everything i found i could not take with me because oh, there are no. very yeah there are very strict laws of exporting mm -hmm. fossils out of Australia. So even though I found one of my best fossils ever, it was like a complete opalized ammonite. I could not take it with me. That broke my heart. Oh, that like, sucks. Yeah, like but you know like I understand why <laughs> why sure, that absolutely. that law is in it, place. It, yeah, it's like, a respectful thing. But like it was like taking my baby away from me. It really oh, no, felt no, it, it really felt like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. Okay, on to more positive subjects. I, I wondered about this. I know that a lot of scientists specialize in something and do a thesis or a paper. Is there stuff that you're busy with or that you dream of doing in your field of study? Um, there are things that I really dream of doing in my field of study, actually. I would uh, man, I had this in mind yesterday. I would really love to go to the south of France and just spend like an entire year there just fossil hunting and seeing what I can discover for myself because there are just so many fossils there. It's like really so the, yeah, like the Jurassic Coast is one thing in England. Everybody goes there, but nobody thinks sure. to go to the south of France, which is like France's Jurassic Coast. And the fossils there are equally as mesmerizing but i think they're often overlooked and overshadowed by england's fossils <laughs> so i'd love to go there and look for some plesiosaurs or lead the uh lead oh god i can never say this lead thixies which was one of the largest fish that ever lived um, wow and then also germany germany's a great spot to go fossil hunting i'd love to spend yeah, like that. an entire year and look for some German fossils. I have a couple in my collection that I found, but I, I feel like I never spent a significant amount of time there. And, and Africa, you got to come visit us. Ah, uh, yes. Well, I've been to Morocco, if that counts. <laughs> it does. I don't know. That's some great so fossil hunting. Some of the best preserved fossils. I was blown away by the level of detail in those fossils. Yeah, and South Africa. I've, I've been to South Africa and there are some great fossils, but unfortunately, a lot of the places are on the coast. And from what I was told, I should not be there at night. So like that was a little... <laughs> but i guess that happens all over the world yeah it no, does. you you come out to south africa i'll take you all the safe places and we'll go fossil hunting yeah i'd love that listen let's dig into this mental health section and the obvious question i think is looking back there were many hardships but what oh, was yeah. The, the the biggest hardship, probably the biggest hurdle, the longest period that you spent in hardship to overcome and reach where you are now. You know, I think I think a lot of it had to do with my sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, 
because I grew up in a really Catholic, conservative household. Wow. Yeah. And I remember even as an early age when I was kind of learning that I was, you know, queer. Like my grandmother never, ever had anything nice to say about queer people. Uh, my parents always like made really rude gay jokes. My twin brother would make really awful gay jokes and it was just normal. So like I struggled very deeply about not being normal because like I knew, you know, uh, while they didn't know they were talking about me, but they were talking about me. You know, that's how I interpreted it. So there was a period of my adolescence where I just didn't speak a word and they sent me to therapy because I stopped talking to people. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, it was bad. It wasn't until I went to college or my latter two years of high school where I started speaking again, but that's because I started to understand who I was. Sure. And that's when I also came out to those who were closest to me, not my family. I was terrified to do that. And I wasn't really allowed to be myself until I left to explore who I was. I think even when I became comfortable with who I was and I could live openly, I still struggled a little bit because that is a lot of trauma yeah. to carry for a long time. And, uh, you know, like I tried to overcompensate for that in ways that weren't really healthy for me. Like I know to this day, I still struggle with validation. Like I'll always look for that quick validation. But that's something that I'm trying to tone down yeah. now that I am a parent and I want to lead by example. You know, like I'm trying to become less of a validation whore. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's something I still struggle with because I never had that validation as a kid. Sure. Um, and then clinical depression really hit me when I moved back to the United States because I uh -huh. went living in Scotland, being able to do whatever the hell I want, not having to worry about money, just focusing on my studies, going to the very far reaches of northeast scotland to find fossils you know traveling all over fife to find them and then going to spend my summers on the jurassic coast to fossil hunt until i dropped and then i moved back to america and then i got thrown right back into the american lifestyle of processed foods and you know like pr enough processed foods will get to your head too um, yes it would and you know just like that really hustle li lifestyle of like get up go to work, come home, fall asleep, do it all over again, like rinse and repeat, just work, work until yeah. you're burnt the fuck out. And I burned out really quickly and clinical depression set in and I gained uh, like almost 200 pounds. I was like 330, wow. I think at my heaviest. I am now 178. So I well lost done. quite a, quite a bit of weight, but like you know, like uh, when I lived in Scotland, I was probably at peak physique. And then <laughs> it didn't hit me until I had a friend visit me from Scotland yep. and ask me, because like, I don't want you to take any offense to this, but what happened? Wow. And I think that's when it hit me that I, I had changed and not for the better, because I, I was clearly not happy. I didn't really care about taking care of my appearance, uh, you know, it's just like because I was so focused on my work. And honestly, I think the pandemic was the best thing that happened for me personally. I know it's a terrible thing to say because like, of course, some it's not that you're talking about that. I totally yeah. get what you're saying. You needed that that reprieve. From I needed that break. Life. I needed that break from life. And it's a shame that like over a million people in the in the US had to die for that to happen. Like it should have never happened in the first place. Uh, but, you know, like, I, I don't think 
that the American way of living, like we really need to reevaluate how we live our lives in this country. Like we live to work and we should not live to work. We should live to live. And I think in 2020, I, when I wasn't commuting five hours to and from work every day, I was able to really focus on the things that I loved again. And I started to feel happy again. Like when I was living in Scotland, things had finally slowed down. I could pursue my interests, you know, without being around people. And in a way, I was able to connect with people again because I joined Discord. I started joining my friends' Discord groups and started doing like nightly to weekly hangouts on different groups and socializing with people like that I never really got the chance to get to know. And, you know, like we we're able to motivate each other. And it was just something I like when you when you're living to work, like you forget to connect with people. And I think that's a huge step in the right direction when it comes to working on your mental health is like connecting again. Yes. Absolutely. And that's the two things that I had in common when I suffered clinical depression as an adolescence where I didn't speak or connect with people. And the clinical depression that I felt in like 2017 to 2018, 2019, you know, like I wasn't connecting with people. But as soon as I started connecting again, that's when I was started to work on myself and feel better about myself and really set goals for myself and more importantly, reach those goals. That's amazing. And look yeah. where you are now. I mean, yeah. from somebody looking in from the outside, I want to take a hat off to you and say, bloody well done on so many fronts. Not only clinical depression, not only losing weight, not only facing homophobes. You did all of that in one fell swoop and you are flourishing from what I can see. So well yeah, done. Yeah, I'm not doing I'm not doing too bad. <laughs> Started a family, you know. I have a career that I really love and I pretty much made that career. Like I remember when my job asked me to come back after the lockdown, I was just like, no. <laughs> Why would I do that? I'm really privileged to be able to make a living off of social media. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad that I was working 60 plus hours a week at a salary position that made me less than like $2,000 a month. And I've pretty much tripled that working on projects that I just wanted to do for fun. <laughs> it's a crazy fact to look at, but it, I'm so happy for you that life worked out in this way. Thank and you. Because you were willing to take a risk. Right. But you know, like I, I honestly wish that it was something that people were able to do. I wish it was something that everybody could do. But I think we're trapped in this mindset that we have to work until we drop and then we forget to live. And then when we're on yes. our deathbed, like nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I worked a little bit more. No, like people <laughs> no. people say when people are on their deathbed, they they think about the things that they missed out on, like time with their family, time with their friends, the countries that they didn't see, people that they didn't meet, people that they blew off, you know, like I think once you take a step back and realize that you need to live for yourself or for the people who depend on you. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's not all about just providing financially, but you have to be mentally stable for them too. You got to be there. You got to be in yes. the present. It's a balancing act. You cannot pour from an empty cup. That is such a true expression. Yes, exactly. So now that you've given me another idea for a podcast, because how cool would it be to speak to people in retirement homes about what it is they wish they did in their life? <laughs> right. <laughs> let's go Let's go back to that little kid that was dreaming yeah. of becoming a paleontologist. 
Yeah. What piece of advice, what's the number one nugget of knowledge that you would wish to give to your younger self? Okay, so uh, if people call you a nerd, ignore them because nerds rule the world. So I remember when I figured out the Pokemon Ammonite was based off of real world Ammonite fossils. That blew my fucking mind when I was 11. <laughs> and I tried to share that interest with, I think, my twin brother and my older sister. And they got annoyed with me and they were just like, you sound like a fucking nerd. <laughs> like I took that to heart. I was so embarrassed. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like almost ashamed that I knew that or that I had like learned something. Learned like, that, yes. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like when I learn things, maybe I should just keep it to myself. No, no, don't, don't do share your passion with people. <laughs> yes. Even even if they don't appreciate it, like just you know, you're going to find that solid group of people who appreciate what you've learned. <laughs> 100%. I mean, it's the same for anyone at any age. There are people who are going to love you and there are people who are going to hate you and there's nothing yeah. you can do about it. Oh, yeah. Like, I have a lot of people who hate me, but that's a different <laughs> story. It's not even but, you know, like at, focusing it, on them. It's not. It's not. Like, at the end of the day, I am a very happy person. You know, I have a wonderful family that I started myself Um it's just, you know, like it's about finding your people. And sometimes sometimes your people are not the people that you were born and raised with. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's your chosen family. Yeah. 100%. Those are some of the best people on this planet. I have some questions from people who follow you and want to know a bit more about your life. So let's dig into two or three listener questions out of yeah, that. Yeah, sounds like a plan to me. So the first one touches on something that you mentioned earlier. It says you lost a lot of weight at one point. Yes. What was your secret to losing weight? And what are some tips for the rest of us to go from having T-Rex arms to big guns like yours? That's from you know, Todd honest, in Australia. Uh, okay. Well, Todd, uh, so the secret is there's really no secret, <laughs> you know, like uh, consistency. I started really slow. I, I started going for walks every day. I could barely make a mile when I started, but that was OK. I worked my way up until I started work, walking 10 miles a day. Wow. Yeah. So like my first goal was 5,000 steps and a walk. And that was a lot for me at the time, especially because I was carrying so much weight around my body. Sure. Like, but then when I started gaining momentum and stamina, I set it to 10,000. And from 10,000, I doubled it to 20,000. From 20,000 to 30,000. <laughs> I think my most walked day uh, I walked about 75,000 steps. What? Yeah. That's what uh, most of us do in like two weeks. Yeah. Like, but that was like, I started at four in the morning and I didn't stop until nine. Never did it again, but like, <laughs> I just wanted to know that I could do it. So then from there, I was like, if I could push myself that hard, maybe I could start, you know, going to the gym. My new gyms were not open yet because it was a pandemic. So I made like a mini gym in my garage and I just kind of like, and that's started, all you need. Yeah. Like I started working muscle groups. I would do one muscle group a day. And when I started to build up my strength, I would work multiple muscle groups a day. And then it got to the point where I was strong enough to do full body workouts. And now I do have a personal trainer now, but mostly that personal trainer holds me accountable. Because as you experienced in this last week, as we were trying to get this podcast going, I have a very busy life and things yes. tend to... And things, it, uh, uh, 
it can it can totally overtake your focus. That's it the problem does. with life. We we it lose does. that that focus that you said one needs if you want to be consistent in weight loss and in exercise. I do, and I lose focus a lot. Like we, this almost didn't happen this morning because I ran out the door to go get a breakfast sandwich for my son and a coffee for myself. And uh, I left at 9.30. I was like, great, I have 30 minutes. Next thing you know, it's 10.15 because I had to wait in line for so long. And then I was like, fuck, okay. Um, <laughs> but that happens to me a lot. Like it happens, I just, it happens to everyone. And then people shouldn't be hard on themselves. Right. Um, just d- jump right back into what you were doing. Well, well I, I also promise like Friday night hangout sessions on uh, Discord for my Patreon patrons and Last night, uh, I got a little distracted playing Sega Genesis with my son. I was like, <laughs> fuck, I need to go downstairs to the hangout. So, like, like I, I overextend myself a lot. And I have a personal trainer who holds me accountable uh, when I need to exercise. Like, he'll walk me through some exercises that maybe I haven't done before. But for the most part, I meet up with him five days a week just so that he knows that I know that I'm getting my workout in (laughs) and he's on me about it. So obviously not everybody can afford that, but you got to hold yourself accountable if you want to make any significant physical changes with your body. Even if you just tell your neighbor next door to make sure that you're in the garage in the morning throwing around some weights and if you're not, they must keep calling until you are. You know, like have fucking Siri yell at you about it, you know? (laughs) We have no excuse. So many things remind us of stuff these days. Exactly. So uh, consistency is key. Uh, That's That's really the biggest secret and it's not so much of a secret as it is a life style change and it's really hard to make changes when you're set in one way you know like you're just gonna commit yourself to making that change well i mean making change is just hard no matter what change it is making changes hard so people must just commit to making the change also as far as the arms go uh just get some elastic resistance bands that's what i do and then i work my triceps and my biceps and my forearms every single night that's why my arms are so big that's amazing. Because uh, like I I'm never... sure that most people assumed you just do tons of bench press, etc., using massive weights. I I did not no. for a second think that you would write this up to elastic bands. Yeah, no. Pretty much all of my exercises are resistance bands. So the thing I love about elastic bands is that they're basically like an entire gym in string form. You can work every muscle group with them. Yes. Uh, you like you can do bench presses with them. You can do curls. You can do squats with them. You can do like there are so many creative ways that you can target a muscle group with them. So I it's, recommend it's, a, it's in a safe way as well, and it's uh, cheaper than a gym membership too. So like my <laughs> my biggest recommendation for people who don't want to spend money going to the gym, buy a set of elastic bands that vary in resistance and weight and you know like watch youtube videos about the different exercises that you can do because that's what i started doing before gyms opened up again and the only reason why i go to a gym now is because a they have a pool and i'm an avid lap swimmer and b the free personal training sessions i get just by teaching at the y teaching science at the y yeah most of my training sessions are free because i teach the stem classes there so they help me stay consistent i hope you realize there's a merchandising opportunity here for some fossil daddy elastic bands some (laughs) resistance training thanks to fossil daddy you can do a few tutorial videos on youtube how's that 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 sounds like i could probably do that but i'm also working on a kid's book right now too so what (laughs) yeah cool yeah uh so my patreon patrons got to read the first few pages so oh wow i'm totally gonna do a follow-up interview with that 
That's yeah, so, absolutely. so interesting. Listen, last question. Here's yeah. one from uh, London. Mark asks, we know you love the films, but you're really irritated by the inaccuracies in the Jurassic Park franchise. Which is the worst aside from Dilophosaurus? And which film in the franchise was your favorite? Oh my God! The fact that they know that Dilophosaurus really <laughs> infuriated. But me. I mean that that <laughs> that was bad. Even for people who are not into dinosaurs, if they learn how inaccurate that animal was portrayed, it's it's quite yeah. Sacrilegious. Okay, so like the thing that bothers me about Dilophosaurus specifically, okay, is, uh, so the Ubrontes footprints of the Connecticut River Valley are believed to have been made by Dilophosaurus, and it was a very mm-hmm. large dinosaur that made these Ubrontes footprints. And the reason why a lot of people think that it was Dilophosaurus is because we know in the early Jurassic, Dilophosaurus was the apex predator of the time. So, no, it wasn't a tiny little dinosaur that had frills and spat acid or poison. <laughs> exactly. like, it was the it's apex. Not an Australian frilled lizard, damn it. No, no. It was a large apex predator with the most beautiful head crest you could imagine. It was like the drag queen of dinosaurs in the early Jurassic. <laughs> you know, like it's like a. F- uh, that's what really infuriated me. Um, I think another sin in the Jurassic Park franchise is Velociraptor. And I, I I bring that one up specifically because that's the one dinosaur that everybody knows. And whenever I show off my dinosaurs footprints, they're like, oh, is that from Velociraptor? It's like, no, <laughs> like, no, no. Okay. The Velociraptor is just one of many different theropod dinosaurs. It's the most well-known but it, just because you see a three-toed raptor-like footprint doesn't mean that it's specifically a velociraptor. Yeah. So, like, that's, like, the one theropod that people know or think that they know because T-Rex is also a theropod. I think my favorite question, what kind of velociraptor made that footprint? N- a no velociraptor. No velociraptor. <laughs> this, was, this was made by a Coelophysis, was a dinosaur that lived in the late Triassic, early Jurassic, and we call the Growlator footprints of the Connecticut River Valley Coelophysoid, which means, like, in the Acelophysis family. So like Podocosaurus holyoakensis, which was a dinosaur that was discovered in Holyoke, Massachusetts, is believed to be responsible for the growlator footprints of the Connecticut River Valley. But, you know, like there needs to be more research done on that topic to say for absolute certainty. And we can't do that until more specimens are found. However, sure. however, body fossils are very seldom found in the Connecticut River Valley. That's so like insane. we're kind of like stuck there but anyway like a uh, velociraptor um not that big and not that smart you know think of jennifer coolidge like you're not very pretty and you're not very bright you know that's <laughs> that's that was velociraptor you know like they were pretty much the size of modern day turkeys or the largest uh, really? american turkey yeah yeah so they were they were tiny little critters and they yeah, they moved fast, but they probably couldn't unlock doors on the uh, on sure. their own. And their eyeballs also really infuriate me because they have very snake-like eyeballs. And even though dinosaurs are reptiles, they're in the archosaur family, which means that they're related to alligators, but alligators are not dinosaurs. You know what are, though? The alligator's cousin, birds. Birds are dinosaurs. That uh, is so they, cool. The way you just put it, it's taken me years to try and wrap my head around that concept, but the way you yeah. just put it makes perfect sense. Yeah, well, birds are dinosaurs in the archosaur family. They're archosaur reptiles, technically, of the avian variety. So if you look at a bird's eyeball, that's probably what a dinosaur's eyeball looked like, too. <laughs> they probably had more bird-like eyes than they did snake-like oh, eyes. Oh, wow. That's insane. Okay, and so sounds. the question we haven't touched on yet 
uh, yeah. that Mark asked is which one out of the way too many films in the franchise at this point was your favorite Jurassic Park film? Uh, well, okay, so I'm going to be honest. I actually never watched one all the way through. Uh, it was 1994 when I saw the first one in theaters and we had yeah. to leave the theater because I threw a temper tantrum at how Dilophosaurus was portrayed. Because <laughs> I was like a crazy dinosaur oh, kid. Just see it. Yeah, yeah. I threw a temper tantrum and then my mom stormed out with all of us and I ruined the day for everybody. So, uh, but like, I still haven't seen a Jurassic Park film since. And I mean, I've seen them in passing, but I've never gone out sure. of my way to watch them all the way through. But I think that also has a lot to do with the fact that I have ADD as well. So I really struggle to watch movies that are not animated because animation can capture my attention because I'm so interested in how Absolutely. models move and like especially hand-drawn or hand animation with a stop motion. Like my mind is fixated on how human hands were able to create that. Uh, when it comes to film, that doesn't interest me as much. So like I, sure. have, a, I have a harder time tuning in to a movie than I do an animated feature. Well, I'll or, give you an insider tip. Do yourself yeah. a favor and get the book, Jurassic Park. I do have the book. I have not cracked it open yet. It was given to me as a gift. <laughs> a gift. You love it because I will. the animals are more accurate and the suspense is better and there's a lot more detail. So do yourself that's a favor. A, that's what I've heard. I got invited <laughs> to Jurassic Park Live in Providence last year. That was fun. Very cool. All right, before we wrap up, yeah, was there anything that we haven't covered that you hoped we would talk about? No, like you kind of like hit all the topics. Yeah, uh, we hit yeah, all the like, nails, did we? Yeah, you did. Fantastic. <laughs> so listen, where can people find you? What's your big focus at this point? Okay, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Fossil Daddy. Technically, you can find me on YouTube at Fossil Daddy too, but I am deleting all of those videos and starting fresh. I do have a second channel called Fossel Daddy. Uh, that's F-O-S-C-E-L, because cell as in like cell animation. So I started talking about animated films and animation projects that I find really interesting. Uh, I released a video yesterday about a cheap conservative bluey clone that is low-key kind of gay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so you can see me talk about that. I'm it's totally really, going to check it out. Really unhinged. That's fantastic. Okay, listen, final question. What could everyone listening do right now in this very second to make the world a better place? Take chances, make mistakes, and get messy. And understand that your fellow human being is also taking chances, making mistakes, and getting messy. It's okay to get Absolutely. messy. But wait, you know, sometimes we just can't take it to heart and we got to be a little more understanding of where people are in their life. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Listen, Osteletti, thank you so much for the time you took, for the way in which you allowed us to explore personal parts of your life and look into your passions and learn from you. I, I cannot thank you enough. Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure. And I cannot wait to catch up with you about your children's book as soon as that launches. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's guest and want to learn more about them or follow their socials, check out the show notes on whatever platform you listened to this podcast on. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. Your support in that way helps this podcast grow and reach more people. If you've just discovered the show, the conversation doesn't end here. Dive into our back catalog for more mind-expanding conversations. And hey, let's keep this journey going. Follow and subscribe to be notified as soon as next week's episode drops. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Until then, 
stay curious, stay awesome, and remember, life is short, so go out and live it. <laughs>